commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Greg Skondak, and you're listening to Core World News, your online news show of in-depth coverage of the latest stories from around the galaxy. Welcome to a special edition of Reading Raptor. This week, your host, Ben Gratton Adam, will review from a certain point of view. The Empire Strikes Back. But first, be gone. The High Republic has... All right. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Grex and uh, Grandmaster Yoda from the Great Beyond. Um, uh, thanks so much for listening to us this week. Uh, wild week here in our own location. There was a bit of a coup. Uh, the dumbest, uh, sloppiest coup that only like a Tiger yeah. King-inspired nation could accomplish. Um, we're going to try and ignore that because, let's face it, Star Wars is escapism, and um, we're here to talk to you about Star Wars and have a good time, so we're going to not try and dwell on that. But um, yeah. just want to acknowledge that happened, and it was terrible. Yeah. It, it'd be weird not to, to to at least say like one of the saddest moments of our modern history happened, Yeah, but also dumbest at the same time somehow, but yeah. moving on. Also one of the more racist. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Draymond, yeah. yeah. And, and just utterly horrific. And there's, there should be consequences for everyone involved. Uh, it's pretty awful behavior. Uh, and uh, I hope everyone uh, just sees justice and I hope justice can be served. Honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of all people, Draymond Green, who I don't care mm-hmm. about causes made sure to, Make the difference uh, to call them uh, terrorists and not yep. protesters is absolutely Ew. true. And it's good to hear um, Biden echo- echoing his statements. Okay, Anyways, agreed. that's all terrible. Uh, but in Star Wars, great news all week. Um, we've yeah. had a great Star Wars week. Um, it's uh, started uh, before the nastiness with an awesome uh, debut event for the High Republic that we're going to talk about in just a second. And then um, after that, we're going to get into, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back, um, which we I know we've been sort of piecemealing out a couple things, but it just it's we're, we're going to be talking about it forever. And this is Core World News, so I think we should be talking about more news stuff um, and stuff that is new. Um, so we're just going to finally get into this book and give it the justice it deserves. Um, so uh, but for now, um Really cool event that happened this week uh, with all the authors getting together, uh, hour-long event, um, talking about the upcoming High Republic rollout, um, the first books that came out uh, this week, and comics. And um, what did you guys think when you uh, heard them all talking on on this thing? I think we all watched the whole thing. I I thought that event was phenomenal. And uh, just the sound bites and quotes. And I think Adam, I think you've collected a few, but um, uh, we're just wonderful. And the descriptions of the, the new era is, are really, really great and just so enticing and are just wanting me to read more and more and more. And I'm very excited yeah. for the, the rollout of all these books. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it did the job it was supposed to do, which is to get you excited about the higher public, which I already really was. And watching this made me more excited because I just, I think we talked about this. We covered the writer's room, like the, the photo yeah. from the writer's room. And I think at that point I said I really would love to have been a fly on the wall of that writer's room. And now I will just double down on that because they're all such creative people and they seem to have such fun together like that. They were really just building up each other, having fun. Um, Yeah, 
I'm excited. Well, for I think we did. A, I think we did a freeze frame of the whiteboard we during did. that writers yeah, yeah, meeting, we and we basically parsed dinosaurs. through everything they dinosaurs. wrote down. Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. King. Uh, you know, Arthurian legend. You know, it's it was it was. There's a lot of stuff on that board that was really cool. Yeah, yeah that was my, and, uh, my biggest takeaway from that event. It's just like, how can you not fall in love with all these authors? They're such fantastic people. Yeah. Daniel Jose Alder um, talking about buckets of blood. Buckets of blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Claudia Gray. I have yet and, to meet yeah. that character. And I've read the first book and well, I have yet to meet that. I think he shows up in the IDW comic. I think is where I'm he shows up. I'm very excited. I'm yeah, very excited. Yeah, sure. that's a great name for uh, a young adult or young person's comic. Um, and any comic, honestly, it's fantastic. Um, and they got into a lot of depth here on a lot more depth than i thought they would yeah um any sort of nuggets of information you pulled out of this that was new that that stood out to you well one thing is they they talked about the books coming out in this first round um which are one del rey book um and then i think two lucas publishing one i think we talked about last week one adult one young adult one middle school reader and then like a young kids book then two comics right and then towards the end of it they talked about they asked all these authors like what are you writing next and they all were kind of switching places and they listed them all out and i saw that list somewhere else and i was under the impression that the next round of books that they're writing takes place during phase two but then what they confirmed by the end is all of these books are still part of phase Phase one. one Yeah. So there's so much content coming in in all three phases, and they also did not say anything about whether the first three phases are the only phases of the High Republic, right? We don't know for certain that those three phases they mentioned is it, right? So I just can't. I'm just. I mean, maybe I'm just so like used to just content upon content upon content, but I'm just so excited that there's so much stuff to dive into over the next year. And it's such a bright and hopeful kind of uh, time that we're entering here where the Jedi are flourishing and the Republic is in this gilded age and there's expansion and Starlight Beacon is being activated. It's 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 really phenomenal. The kind of the feel you get, the atmosphere you you experience when reading that the the light of the Jedi, which by Charles Sewell, which I've already read and. I, I and I was actually surprised that during the event they they actually barreled into the the Nye, the Nye, Nye Hill, which is I, that is apparently the pronunciation is not no, Nile. It's, it's no, Nile. it's Nile. 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 Hill. No, Even Nile. though they're clearly nihilists, it's it's Mobbin and it's Niles. Like yeah. we, um, great. It actually brings me to the other point. The main takeaway I had, and I and I've read the first section of the um of the Lay of the Jedi, and. During this presentation, Claudia Gray, oh no, sorry, Charles Sewell, who's the author of that book, said, really, we're talking about, we saw the term Camelot thrown around in the writer's room. Yeah. And he said something that I felt super, really, he mentioned, oh no, no, there are two Camelots. There's King Arthur's Camelot, and then there's JFK's Camelot. And when you read this book, it is as if that was the, I feel like that, and they're not saying it, but I feel like that was the tonal thing they're going for, is the combination of Ethereum and, J- and and John F. Kennedy's Camelot together. It really feels like that, this idea of, like, knights and round tables, but also the idea of expansion and hope. Like, it's just so perfectly those two things fused together. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was really struck by that, and that, that toppled me over when he said it. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. What an interesting hybrid that they've created, and I'm glad yeah. to hear that it's coming together 
that he's pulling it off. Um, I, I have not read anything but the first chapter of Light of the Jedi. I'm looking forward to digging in next week. We're going to talk about it next week, uh, Light of the Jedi. And then I guess we're going to just line up these publications. Um, we'll figure out how to, to get into those later. But we'll, we'll start with Light of the Jedi next week. Um, and it should be fantastic. But yeah, one of the things, I, I think it was Claudia Gray that let, let slip and then just let it out because he's like, well, damage is done, is that the, the nihilists, uh, the, the Nihil, believe <laughs> the in Nihil. Nihil. <laughs> yeah, the Nihil. Nothing. And it's, um, that's funny if you're a Lebowski fan, which I am, you know who nihilists are. Um, so you know somewhat what Nihil are. Uh, they be, believe in nothing and it's exhausting. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's, I mean, you sort of suspected that We've based on the We've seen characters like this in the past, though, in, in you know, Batman films and things like that. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Characters before. Anyone oh, want to do, do a On the news, even. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost yeah. swore real bad. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah. I think these, yeah. And there's precedence for these books. And these books are actually touching on, on just so much. It, it's, I'm, I'm ecstatic after reading that first book. It's, the, it's really, really a wonderful achievement. And uh, a congratulations to Charles Sewell for, for everything he's done in terms of yeah. building this, this new yeah. era. That was another nugget that came in, though. I, I really it was very democratic the way that they wrote the story. So they like sort of they sort of ran all their ideas up the flagpole. And then someone decided which ideas they were going to hold on to for the series. And we're like, OK, you can play with this, this and this and this. And and and, and so it, it ended up being they all got back a hybrid of all their ideas. And there was pieces of everyone's ideas that were, you know, Done. I mean, I don't know. I imagine it went through the story group, right? Because they had to be like, well, and I don't know what they would even leave out, but, um, you know, but that's what they said. And so it was sort of like they each gave a piece and they each received pieces from everyone and incorporated it into their overall story. Well, it's I think from achieve- that. Ev- yeah. And from that event, I think what we know about the Nihil is that they're barbarians or pirates. That's, I think, what they say explicitly uh, just, you know, in the press. press and Vikings. Uh, yeah. Right. Or uh, I would even say whalers. <laughs> but we'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wow. cannot wait to get to, to all about you. We'll talk about the Nihil next right. week. We'll probably t- cover the Light of the Jedi and then probably do a separate episode on the Nihil as a sort of adversary of the yeah. Jedi and exploring yeah. them as a threat. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we're going to read everything and we will be talking about all of those um, coming up. Um, I guess I don't want to spoil too much. Um, I just want to say if, if you had, if you haven't listened to um, that, uh, that event you should it's on the youtube on the high republic debut from uh, tuesday and um yeah it's fantastic it's just a fantastic listen they're wonderful people it's short it's only like 40 minutes to an hour or something like that and um and it goes by faster if you listen to it 1.5 speed (laughs) i bet it does it's slightly higher by the way don't do that to our podcast (laughs) (laughs) hey you run your own life um awesome um but this finally we get to talk about um Empire Strikes Back from a point of view. So a little bit back, a little bit forward, but uh, why don't we get into it? All right, uh, welcome to another edition of Reading Rathtar. We're going to be doing a lot of these coming up because there's so many fantastic books. But um, there's one book that we have been... Not neglecting, we've been talking about it, but uh, haven't given it its proper due, and that is the, from a certain point of view, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, 
and you should all know about this if you if you don't it's um you know it's a collection of stories it's a it's a essentially a second installment the first uh from a certain point of view is for a new hope um it's important to note that this book is for charity um they're giving 100 percent of these proceeds uh to help educate uh children um it's and it's a really unique experience in star wars because it's one of those things like mandalorian where they get to sort of debut new talent try out new talent um you yeah. get a lot of established fantastic art authors um some you know more up and coming than others and they let you know they give them a shot at at doing star wars and um i adore it and it's super fun and then of course for the hardcore fans like me that spend a lot of the movie looking at the people in the background and their blasters and their starships and you know whatnot um, all of those things get backstory. So, um, we're going to go through this, uh, book, um, but we're going to do it in a little different way. Cause there's so many stories. You, you really have to read this book if you're a Star there, Wars fan. Yeah. There's literally 40 stories. Yeah. So we're not going to go blow by blow on this. Um, and they, they're all fantastic stories. I, I really, each story I was, I really enjoyed. They're very different. They're very exciting. Um, but we decided to do a little round robin thing here, which we do frequently with a lot of things. Um, and we're going to pick the three um, three stories each that resonated with us. Um, we didn't consult with each other before we did this. So we'll see if people scramble or not. I have a feeling there's not going to be overlap here. Um, that's my guess. That's my call right now. I'm going to um, yeah. bet five Aqualish or um, uh, Mon Cal. Um, what do they call Mon Cal money? Uh, flan. Flan. Yes. I will bet you five Mon Cal Flan. Calamari Flan. Yeah. Calamari Flan. Thank you. It was like, it couldn't be Calamari, could it? It is. Um, yeah. All it right. It really is. Do we have any volunteers uh, who wants to share one of their stories first? I mean, where do we leave off? I think we left <laughs> off at a good kiss. And then. We did. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we that covered... was incredible. That was incredible, and I just want to shout out to how incredible that that short story was. By, That's you know, a good kiss. CB Lee. CB oh Lee. no, that, yeah. that was the next we one. Did. We didn't do a good kiss, did we? No, I yeah, we covered. Did. That was the last one we covered. We so let's just, okay. That's yeah. where we left off. So we did cover. So aside from the first four first stories, four. let's let's pick our favorites after yeah. that. Right. After so, that. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. so, I think I think a couple of those might have snuck in there for me. Um. Mm. Though what I realized is I did this without thinking and mine are very themed. Yours might be themed as well. We'll see. Um, I feel like I'm talking. So, yeah, there's a theme to this. Um, I guess since I'm talking, I'll just go first if that's fine. Uh, I put them in, in some sort of order of like first to last but it was hard. So I guess my favorite story in the entire book was right hand man by Lydia Kang. All right. Mm -hmm. And that, and that was the two one B and Luke story towards the end of the book. The end. It's the end second the book, to yeah. last story in the book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and which is funny because to be honest, um, I, to get this book finished, I kind of had to plow through a bit of it at times. And I had to like set like reading goals each day. Um, and, I really loved all of these stories, but at the same time, when you do something like, oh, I have to read 11% of this book every single day, it starts to feel a bit like 
homework in that like I have to set time aside for this. Yeah. So to be honest, there was occasions where I'd read a chapter, I liked it, I knew it wasn't going to resonate with me, and I kind of just read through it fast. I didn't skim it, I read it. And so today, I finished it up. And so I was really today feeling that push of like, gotta get this done, gotta get this done before the podcast. So the fact that the the second to last chapter struck a chord with me is telling, right? Because I was kind of like, oh my God, I'm almost done with this book, even though I was really loving it. Yeah. But I just... This chapter, I, just something about it. Um, I love Luke's well, portrayal in this chapter. Go ahead, Grant. I was just thinking. Uh, there's, I think there's a moment in this chapter. I, I vaguely remember it because I I read it uh, quite a few days ago. But I, there's a moment I think where he's like, or two one B is says or is thinking that or tells Luke actually that he remembers the treatment on Hoth or something like that or yeah. the, the wounds he was inflicted by the Wampa and he's he's tracking Luke's wounds throughout the movie yeah. much like yeah. us the the, the audience yeah. it's it's yeah. really fascinating like the two one B's relationship to Luke Skywalker is really fascinating and um, I think uh, uh, Lydia yeah. Kang right wrote this uh, yeah yeah Lydia Kang yeah. is yeah wrote this I. It, Here's the thing. Luke is being taught things about the Force by a droid. And that's what I love about this chapter. And I love droids. And because to me, I find them fascinating. Are they sentient? Are they not? Are they just programs? I mean, my favorite part in Solo is the droid rebellion, right? Like, I I just find it fascinating because every time I see them, I start getting these moral questions in my head. And like, what are they? What are they capable of? And this back and forth and getting this told from the perspective of 2-1-B, I loved, right? Because it's, his, it's literally a droid's internal monologue. Um, well, it's not even yeah. internal. It's his external monologue. Yeah. It's a conversation that we don't see Luke, on the screen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It, I think, like, in Star Wars, the, there's, like, two mysteries. It's, like, 1-A, 1-B. The, the first mystery is the Force, and they've done a great job making that mysterious. But something much more sciencey is are the droids and this all the you know artificial intelligence, and there's so many doors that the droids can open, where it's like you know is Luke part droid? What does it mean to be droid? Yeah. Like what what do they feel? What do they you know what do they want? Um, what are the the possibilities with with you know their companionship and their relation to organics and. And um, how evolved can they get? How, you know, what is the the scale of like how sentient they are and what what makes them more sentient and, you know, and human? And there's just so many really cool story aspects to explore there. Right. And this one, he's just being very simple and, yeah. you know, and, and saying, you know, what he feels. And he is more verbose than most droids. Um, and then you have Luke, which is a perfect person to play off of him because you know he has a special relationship with droids. He he cares for R2. Yeah. yeah. Um and 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 he does through his old character arc and he really listens to this droid as opposed to say a Han Solo who right. listens to droids. Yeah. And there's a line and I have to be honest, I know we talked at the beginning of this episode about what's happened in the past few days. Uh so I don't want to bum us out and bring us back, but there was a line in this that kind of connected and I wonder if it would have connected to me as much if it if if I had this for the atrocities that happened a couple of days ago, but let me just read the line to you that kind of really hit a chord with me. And, and as a criminologist, I truly believe in this line. Um, so I'll just read it. It's from two one B starts. Don't deserve to have it fixed. All being deserve, all beings deserve to be cared for, to be healed. 
Um, he says this rather adamantly, and Luke seems surprised by the passion in his words. Moral perfection is no re requisite for care. That would be cruelty itself, and no beings are perfect. Yeah. Like, to me, that is an amazing line that I bring to my students. Like, <laughs> part of me wants to, like, kind of write this down and start sharing this specific line with my students. Yeah. Even about treatment for those who have offended, who have hurt others, I truly believe in this, that everyone deserves treatment. Everyone deserves to be given the opportunity to repair themselves, right? No matter what they've done. And I just reading that line really touched me. And I think partially because of, of the past few days, but also just because I truly believe that in my core. So I just, that line really struck me and, and spoken by a droid, a droid. Right. You should write this down, man. We were talking uh, off, we talked a lot off air uh, tonight, but um, <laughs> we did, we, talked about dad knowledge and you're uh, a new dad um and this is yeah. you know you can put that in your pocket for some serious dad knowledge and maybe um yeah. you know charlie will be um talking about this on one of her podcasts someday and <laughs> i hope so we, we should also mention that this is is this scene this is also the scene where luke is getting his his new hand yeah and uh and 21b's Basically talking about the the his his nerves and how he he, he Basically, your brain will send signals to your finger, fingers, but occasionally it will feel as though there's a delay, even if there is not. Yeah. Your nerves will still be recovering, so do expect your hand to spontaneously contract once in a while. You may still have phantom pain while your nerves heal. Phantom pain, Luke asks? Asked? Yes, your nerves will cut through entirely. It's like, that is very interesting, and I think greatly enhances The Last Jedi in that, that, that flashback moment. Yeah. I I think this this chapter does such a good job of connecting a new hope Luke to Last Jedi Luke. Yeah. Right. Because you get this compliment play of like realizing because there's a line where he sits there is like, do I he basically Luke asks himself through talking to the droid, did I deserve this? Should I even get a mechanical hand because I yeah. messed up? Like I should just take this as a lesson to that I rushed into this and I didn't take Yoda and Obi Wan's advice. Yeah, and he was like he was talking about it being crude matter. Um, yeah, and you know, and and he was really thinking like, well, this is you know, it's just crude matter anyways. Why do I even need this? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. On a completely just nerdy side, Luke's uh, resting heart rate's twenty five beats per minute. Yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> That's, that's I'm pretty sure right 60 there. is my resting. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm up at like 80. Well, there was a revelation, you know, so mm -hmm. it's yeah, it can, I can enhance the AFib can occur. Yeah, but I love uh, the scienciness and the, you get the science, you get right? the whole conundrum of AI, and then um, you get the force, philosophy, poetry. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He calls him a poet, and I, that was one of. He's like, you're a poet, T1B. And um, and he was like, don't ever tell my like coworkers that. <laughs> Just kind of uh, great. Um, yeah, that was a great. Uh, was that the end? Was that the very end? I forget. Uh, it was the second to last chapter. Second to last, that's right. Wills yeah. came out. The Wills. The Wills. We will back. talk about the Wills later when we're. Yeah. Um, would you like to go next, Grant, or would you like me? Yeah, I mean, well, my, you know, obviously my favorite chat my favorite story is dealt with you dark mystical elements and <laughs> yeah. dark side and things like that and, and disturbance uh oh you was, mean the grant chapter I, they had yeah disturbance yeah, yeah. was my favorite chapter in the uh, story in the in the book and i just it just because of the imagery 
that uh, is conjured uh, by Mike Mike Chen is the author uh, that and it, it what's cool about that story is that it it takes place just before the scene where Darth Vader's kneeling before the hologram of the emperor yeah and he's like what is thy bidding my master like that whole scene that's just enchanting and mesmerizing when you when you watch the films uh, and it, it's the scene just prior to that where the emperor's in the lower depths in, in his office on Coruscant and kind of imagining, actually just feeling this disturbance in, in the waves and the ocean of the force and the kind yeah, of current throughout of the, the galaxy. force throughout the galaxy. And if, I mean, I can't wait for everyone to read the, the high Republic books and kind of just how Jedi are feel are reaching out uh, in the galaxy and things like that. And how that's just, just, you know, the prose is written for that. But this was really wonder. It was just really dark and, and strange and eerie as to how Palpatine was reaching out throughout the galaxy. I yeah. thought the I thought it was really uh, dark in terms of how he's like he's he's uh, manipulating the Force and, and sort of like cutting through the waves yeah. and things like that. It it was really interesting to see how he was reaching out and um, sensing. Yeah. The so galaxy, many- and then, 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 seeing Anakin's vision for yeah. basically the the, the, the yeah. Anakin's whole his desire, his desire to overthrow the Emperor, and seeing the entire plan, Darth Vader's entire plan, which was which has always been a mystery to me, which I always felt was meant to be a mystery as to his motivation, like Vader's motivation. Was he really trying to overthrow the Emperor, or was he just saying this to get Luke to, you know, like, people have always, it's always been a sort of question mark. But I, I've always thought that, I always thought something similar to this story, where it's, you see the memory of, of Anakin's idyllic future, which is, he's out of the armor, yeah. um, he's, he's, he's his old self, Padme's in the picture, and... And Luke's right there by his side, basically as the henchman or like the the son who can, you know, help him or just yeah. has joined him to take over the galaxy. Right. Yeah, I, I Grant, I agree with that. And I hope that's because... a what if, I hope that's a what if story, by the way. Yeah, well. right. That's a Star I... Wars uh, Infinities. They yeah, yeah, it should be an Infinities or what if. Because well, it's inter- yeah, it's interesting because you see the 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 Emperor th- the Emperor is seeing through Vader slash Anakin's eyes. And and so it's this weird, you know, second point of view. And then but he's also evil, like Anakin's yeah. still evil in that situation. He still has a red lightsaber and mm-hmm. has yeah. this, you know, conquer of the galaxy. Yeah. Interesting thing. Sorry yeah, it's, it's right. Like even in Anakin's, Anakin's fantasy, he's still a Sith of yeah, some kind. Right. There's also the moment where where you see the emperor's machinations of having luke as his apprentice right like i have the line here yeah um the figure remained at attention the crimson glow of a of a drawn lightsaber reflecting off of panoramic transparisteel uh shadows cast over the figure's hooded face a brief glance enough to show that it was a young man not an old wizard like dooku not covered in demonic tattoos like maul and not a lumbering clash of organic and metallic uh like vader Right? Like, yeah. I just like that's great of him just seeing like Luke as the ultimate apprentice. Yeah. 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 And super OP. I, I wonder how much of this is. I, I, th- I think you get a sense of how overpowered the emperor is here because a, <laughs> he's sensing yeah. everything in the galaxy, which is a hundred billion stars. But they, you know, it's, it's also, I think it's still his fears and I still think it's yeah. his desires too. Right. I think he's still he's afraid of his apprentice, you know, whether, you know, no matter how much stronger he is than Vader, 
you know, that's going to be in a Sith master's right. mind is the fear. The concept right, but he's planning to sacrifice Vader is what oh, yeah. I think is oh, revealed yeah. in that yeah. moment. Oh, sure. Which is fascinating, which is incredible. And I just props to Mike Chen for this, this story. Oh, it's it was great. Beautifully, beautifully yeah. you know, ideated. If I didn't knew if I didn't know Grant was going to do this chapter, it probably would have stuck into my top three as well. <laughs> um, but I, I will say, like, I just I love, you know, the fact that it's just dealing with this stuff in a way that's so interesting and kind of makes sense with everything we've seen about the emperor. Right? He's just so Ben, you're right. He's afraid, but he's not willing to see his fear. Yeah, right. And that's his ultimate downfall in both episode six and episode nine right yeah. like and i kind of love that it's like if he just knew he was afraid he could probably prevent these things from happening right but his his arrogance and his con yeah is is his downfall it's all quote unquote part of his plan like, right exactly is. everything is yeah. like he's she's been such an echo chamber for so many years that it's um yeah he can't really even see the the flaws in his thinking and that's how the yeah, the, the force works. And he's just sort of like, no, I, I make the force do what I wanted to do. Whereas like, you know, uh, Jedi sort of follow the currents of the force and work within its own, you know, natural balance to, you know, find their ends. And uh, right. yeah, great, great chapter. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go next. Um, this one is probably the only one you knew I was going to do because I texted you both about it. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, it is uh, by Hank Green and it's called A Naturalist on Hoth. And it's relatively early in the book, um, but I stand it's the one that floored me the most. Yeah. And so it's you know, it starts off simple enough. It's like, oh, this is a scientist on Hoth that's sort of, you know, that's been hired to understand the terrain and the flora and fauna um, and sort of go through this. And so. But it gets really sciencey, which I love because I love actual science fiction, and and they don't they use it very sparingly in Star Wars, like actual sci-fi, and so I really appreciated that. And then it just took this super turn, you know. So yeah. like in the beginning, there's like they show some of his papers and he's doing reports, um, which is very much Hank Green's background. He's um, he has two books published, um, and he has you know uh, he has a. a a science um, cast that has like, you know, 2 million follow, you know, 2 million hits on it. Like, and um, he, he's considered the, the science teacher to uh, the world um, in a lot of ways, but he, he is now like, so it starts with this, just, it's well-written. It's, it's sciencey and it's, it's about science, which I adored. They talks about like, this is how the caves were made, these worms and how they, and like really gets into the, the, the bits and, and um, the inside baseball, the science of Hoth, which is like, who doesn't love that? Um, so he's falling in love with the planet, the character. Um, yeah. And then, um, but then it starts going, he starts contrasting it with like the mission of the rebellion and, and the, the relationship that human beings have with nature in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's, and he starts to feel not so much not a part of the rebellion, but not a part of the human race. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of how I was raised in New Hampshire. We were very yeah. like part of our environment. We live up there in the mountains and the lakes and the forest. And this is these are our teachers and these are the people that we grew up around and or the thing, the, the entities that we grew up around and you feel very connected and you get that connection there. But then so it's it was really 
his writing is also fantastic. And, you know, it was very sciencey and, 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 but interesting prose getting through the first half, but then he starts getting into other stuff and he starts taking his character starts taking this turn. This is one quote I've got. He goes, not long ago, I watched such a man hop on a tauntaun at dusk as dusk rushed over the base. I turned to my commander and he and said he'll need a close uh, to closely monitor the animal's vitals if they both want to make it back alive. My commander then repeated my concern to him louder and abbreviated, "Your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker." <laughs> the man had nothing kind to say in reply, but that didn't stop him from saying something. When the man returned and I discovered how he'd made it through the night, I felt sick. Mm-hmm. And then you know just keeps like for some reason that's the one that just like really knocked me over the edge there's yeah really from there on like if i could quote the rest of the chapter i yeah. would um because it's it's just fantastic um I, can i i'm just gonna pull out another one he's like yeah. i do not have to know how to win a war but i find myself no longer able to care alderaan tore a hole in me i didn't just lose faith in the empire to some extent i lost faith in my species yeah it's not a thing done by evil there's a thing done by us and i will never forgive us I'll never be able to see my own face in the mirror the same way. And so maybe I've stopped looking. Yes. Like I, yeah. yeah. Ben, you texted us this chapter, right? Like you texted us about this like early on and I, I hadn't read it yet. And so I was sensitized when I was reading this chapter already to be like, what is this chapter? Right. And halfway through, I'm like, all right, I'm enjoying this, but I don't, but I don't get it. Like I don't, why does Ben love this? In the second half, like you said, just floored me. Like, because this character's journey makes sense, right? Like, it, it makes sense that someone does it. And, like, that line, and I think you, like, semi-quoted it, but I just want to say the actual quote is that, I became less and less a part of the rebellion, not because I don't feel like their mission is worthwhile, but because I feel less and less, like, part of the human species. Yeah. Right? And I think a lot of us in this world can relate to that sentiment. I know I can. I know I can at multiple moments. Again, I'm the bummer who keeps bringing this up, but part of this week, I could yeah. relate to that sentence oh, yeah. a little bit. Oh, so yeah. I, and it's so weird because I'm the person who talked about believing that everyone should be healed, everyone should have a chance to be healed. And I feel like these are the, this is like the angel and demon on my shoulders constantly yeah. fighting are those two sentiments of everyone's, everyone has good in them and deserves to be healed. And then our species is trash. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Trash. Yeah. Totally. And like, and having those two things battle out. I think is what we all experience at times and to have them both represented in this book in such a thoughtful way is really meaningful. And, and I really love this chapter. Um, and again, similar to, to Grant's first one, if you hadn't already mentioned this one, it would have been on my list of my top three, a hundred percent. Nice. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and also the way that it's still very much a part of star Wars. Like he still speaks, in you know, it's very you feel you never get taken out of Star Wars, right. you know, or Hoth while while your character is going through this. And I think that's the justice that the first half of this chapter does. Um, yeah. But the tone is so fresh and uh, so refreshing, and and um, it's just great. He's like, and it's it like it's it's sad and it's dejected, but it's like convicted, and it's just like he's just like I'm gonna you know, I'm just going to do this. He's like, when we found out general Don, uh, Dodonna had been killed, I stayed on Hoth. I stayed after, uh, Rissle disappeared from our camp one night and never came back. When the rebellion reassigned my team to new planet, I convinced them I had more work to do here. And just now when my evac shuttle assignment was called, I stayed, I'm sick with this knowledge, but I cannot stop knowing it. So, I mean, it's, it's unprecedentedly yeah. amazing stuff. So here's a bummer of a thought. 
this so when I was reading this and I figured my notes, this this chapter kept reminding me of the movie and real life story of Into the Woods. Okay. Yeah. Um, and like so spoiler alert to Into the Woods and also that person's real life, which is a bummer. Like he died because he couldn't identify the right mushrooms. <laughs> like, right. Like like he he thought he could and he couldn't and he ate poisonous mushrooms. I have a You're about into the wild. Into, into the, the wild. wild. Into yeah. the woods is a really bad. Thank you, Grant. It's a really bad <laughs> musical. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Grant, don't apologize. <laughs> that's thank yeah, you. That's for why we're here. Because those are two uh, very very different things. One's a really bad <laughs> musical. Sorry, yeah, my yeah, my yeah. anti musical self is showing. And the other one's a semi-good film. Um, but in the wild, where he dies because he ends up eating the wrong mushrooms. In a in a, a abandoned bus. In an abandoned bus in the nowhere, wilderness. No. Yeah. Well, right. So that's that's a difference with this character and that character. Yeah. Is that this is a scientist. He he's going to pick the right mushrooms, right? Yeah. That's my thought. It's like, he's good. Right. I mean, so we, he's the last paragraph, to spoil this for you, but it won't because it's amazing. He's like, and to my family, mom, dad, I hope you get this. So it's like this is he sends. Um, they, they had told everyone at the beginning of the evac to to write a message to their family because it's like we might all die. So you got to send this, which is really dark, but it didn't feel that dark because he oh. was in such a like focused place. Yeah. The character that it was like going on, he's like, so mom, dad, I hope you find this. I'm fine. The, the, the empire will not find me and neither will the Wampas. When the war is over, send someone for me. I'll be in the worm caves with the Tauntauns. It's where I belong. And I mean, that, that may, I don't know how that sounds to you, but it, the way that it punctuated this piece was just like, it, it was heroic and um, in a very different way. And it was just in convicted. He's like, you know what? I'm fine here. I like these people more than I like the others. And I need to do this right now yeah. for myself. And you believe him. You believe that he is yeah. fine, that he's yeah. going to be fine. Yeah, yeah he's going to be fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. I adored it. It was, Me a, too. It was a great. Do you job. think do you think he's still there on Hoth? Yes. <laughs> no, I think he got rescued. I think someone, you know, I, you know, Maybe he might have been there for three years. You know, it might have been he didn't get rescued till uh, certainly. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I bet he's there because there's several units that are out, you know, doing their thing. And yeah, uh, of the the re rebellion split. And we only saw one contingent of it. So I bet someone went back for him. I think he's there and I think he's happy. I think he's there because he doesn't want to be found and he's hiding like he's just he's given up. Right. And he just wants to and he's living a fulfilling life amongst the Wampas and Tauntauns. Right. Like yeah. he's figured out this ecosystem and figured out all the rules and studying things. And it's making him very happy. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think it's your turn again, Adam. OK, uh, round two. Uh, you'll probably be able to guess the theme I'm going with based on this one. And the second one is Faith in an Old Friend by Brittany M. Williams or N. Sorry, Williams. <laughs> Did I steal someone's grants making a faith? Uh, no, no, no. Just, I was worried you're going to steal mine. No, this is the L337. Yeah, story. so good. So okay. good. So here's why I love the story. The execution's really good. It's more that the fact that this story got written, like, no matter who wrote the story, it probably would have ended up on my top three because, it's A, it's so good, but I love, like, my, as a child watching Empire Strikes Back, C-3PO just saying your 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 computer speaks a strange dialect was mind blowing to me like, OK, he's talking to a ship. The ship has a dialect. <laughs> right. And then you have Solo. 
where you're just like, oh, L337 gets uploaded into the Millennium Falcon. Right. So then my mind's like, is 3PO talking to L337? And then you have the story is like, oh, yeah, he is. But also two other droids two that other are in this thing. Two other AIs. Yeah. It's yeah. just so good. And it's so funny. Like, it's really funny and yeah. really heartbreaking at the same time. And like, and so much of it is about L337's relationship with Lando. Yeah. And, and that's one of my favorite things about Solo is I love their relationship. And the even comment on L337 being like sad about like just re remembering the fact that when she used to be the co-pilot to Lando, they would do their little salute to each other. Yeah. In oh, that he, moment, did, he did it to Leia, right? Yeah. In that moment. In that moment broke my heart right like that is like because yeah. i love that moment in solo because it's so cool to see a droid sidekick and that little like synchronized like salute to each other is so well shot and then the thing about that is like she's just non-corporeal thinking about this stuff and just yeah. I, I just love this story so much yeah i mean you, you nailed it man i mean and the, the fact that it, it was a great um carry on of l337's um personality where she's educating her two other personalities she's yeah. like you're a her and you're a her by the way and <laughs> yep. like they and they you know she's teaching them how to feel how to think how to have emotion also they mentioned there's a fourth entity too that was yeah treadwell well i know and like if you see i i didn't see treadwell in the in the best bin part um but i wasn't i don't know i not i didn't look as hard as i should have but treadwell was definitely on the top of the Falcon helping to do repairs in at Hoth. And I yeah. saw Treadwell there. He's like, you know, blue, you'd see him. He looks like sort of um, Johnny five, but yeah. super and you'll see him in uh, I maybe not him, but a version of him in a new hope, right? Like Treadwell is yeah. on, on the moist moisture farm. Right. And so I, I read this chapter. I had to Google cause I didn't, I never caught Treadwell in, in empire and I Googled. I'm like, Oh, you're right. He's totally on top of the millennium Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Treadwell has a heroic journey of yeah, his own, he does. Uh, which is great. But uh, yeah, yeah, super fun. Super. I'm so glad that they and it was just nested so perfectly in the movie because there yep. are little things that you can see all over the place of this happening, even as far as like she pushed Lando, like the, the Lando information in front of him. He's like, oh, that's interesting. Lando Lando like to him. Yeah. 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 yeah Anawat, uh system. Yeah. And she's responsible for bringing, uh, you know, Solo and his his friends to uh, to Bespin. We also get a moment that I thought we were going to get in Rise of Skywalker and maybe happened in the three and a half hour version of that film. Right. But we get Lando's like walking back into the Millennium Falcon and thinking over things. Right. Like, yeah. God, I miss the ship. Like he talks about it. Right. Like it's just. And then, oh, God, that line where, and it seems a bit hokey at first, but the more I read it over, he's like, it's just not the same without you, L3. Like, the fact that Lando yeah, still thinks about and L3, like this droid, because she even mentions earlier, like, she recognizes, because I love the droid stuff, like, she remembered how Lando's heart rate would change whenever they were in close proximity. Oh. Like, I'm sorry. Those, like, Lando loved L3. And, like, you can say whatever you want about that, but, like, that is there. Like, yeah. to me, that is canon. It is clear in Solo. This recanonizes it. He loved that droid. And you can, we can put labels on it if you want. I don't care. He loved that droid. And that makes me happy. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the other droids, just to shout out, are yeah. ED4. The other AIs are ED4 and, and V5T. And they even give a bit of bit of background, right? I can't find it, but e, like one is it ED V five to V five was the stock AI, I think, right. with your Carillion um, thirteen hundred hundred uh, freighter or YT thirteen hundred freighter, and then there it was the other one was like it was like a spy AI or it was a, yeah I think it's like spyware that scanning kind of like a scanning or sensor technology or something. <laughs> That's funny if it was spyware. It's a virus. That would be super fun. That funny. just got changed. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. No, it, it yeah. was, I think it was uh, an upgrade for smuggling. Right. Uh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> that I, yeah, that I, I don't know if it was, oh, it's not clear is. if it was Lando or um, Han that uh, uploaded that one, but it probably would have been Lando. I it would have been Lando. I have the line. So ED4 had been a corporate espionage slicer droid who had been up, uploaded to Falcon before L337. Uh, and Lando had ever laid eyes on the ship. So it was even pre-Lando owning the Millennium oh, wow. Falcon that uh, that ED4 was uploaded. Wow. So whoever he won the ship off of. Yeah. Um, that's pretty fascinating. And then, of course, we saw L337 be uploaded um, during the Solo movie. Yeah. Powerful. And then <laughs> L337 even acknowledges Darth Vader in the yeah, first story, yes. which I found like such a fun story beat for L337. Yeah. It's also cool to think that that all three of those AIs are behind the scenes, sort of in yeah. the Falcon, you know, yeah. causing mishaps, almost like the Force, almost like how we think the yeah. Force. Yeah. It's really and, like, and like silently making fun of, you know, like Han and, and Chewie and whoever, you know, and Ray and you know, whoever that are trying to fix it, being like, oh, you're such idiots. Just like, yeah. why can't you figure this out? <laughs> All right. So here's a philosophical thought slash question. So as we're taught by Yoda, and we see this in the High Republic, and we see this in the, the, the Force is connected to all living things. Sure. Right. And yet, this book and a lot of other things seems to suggest that droids have a really important impact in the history of the galaxy. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of the end of that sentence. But my question then. Well, I think the force is, and droids are equally mysterious. And right? I think that's Do what's cool interact? about both, both elements. Yeah. And if they interact, then we have the fact that are droids considered living things because the right. force works through them in mysterious ways? Possibly. Maybe it should never be answered. I don't think that'll ever be answered. That's I don't want, and Grant, yeah. I don't ever want it to be answered. <laughs> I love that mystery, and I love that. That's why I love the droids, because That's these stories are how, yeah, like the impact they have on the galactic history is wonderful. I mean, even my least favorite droid <laughs> of all time, to the point where I can't remember his name from episode nine, help me out here, the, the Dio, 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 yeah. Dio has a giant role to play yeah. in the Galactic Second Civil War. I don't know, but the war against the First Order, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think this answers it, man. I, I think the Force actually affects droids. I think they're there, and I think they're creatures. Because there's also the sort of, like, this the whole, like, slave sort of metaphor that's that that haunts droids 
but I yeah. didn't talk about that before too, but that's like another part of this is like they're servants, like they're yeah. born to indentured servitude. And it, it just would make sense to be like, yeah, but they're also living things and yeah. they're affected by the force. Yeah. And, you know, it's like they are built for a purpose and they do their purpose, but it's yeah. like, how do we treat these things? You know, that, yeah. that can define our outcome. And that, again, that's, that's why I, I will always love solo amongst other reasons is that it, 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 touches on it the most of any Star Wars film. Not to the level I'd like it to, but it does play around with this idea of droids as indentured servitude or slave labor of some kind to the point where you actually get a droid, a mini droid uprising, which also has my favorite Star Wars scene, which is a tiny gonk droid stomping on a control panel, but moving on. <laughs> right. It feels a bit like Willow, too, and whatever those, those, those characters are. They're kind of in hmm. the mix, but they're the tiny characters, you know. Oh no, the brownies? Yeah, it's the almost the worst like part of Willow behind I, the scene. Come on. <laughs> Fair enough. Nonetheless, and I just felt that it could have been a there could have been a connection there. No, I, it was I, very cool. I think that's that's accurate. <laughs> um, well, you guys can probably guess my second favorite well, of these short stories because it's yep. the opposite side of the spectrum. <laughs> the complete opposite side of the spectrum. If I started with the Emperor, it's obviously. The first lesson by Jim Zub oh, with so Yoda, uh, Yoda's yeah. perspective, and um, wow, this was deep, and this was, I think, this was, I think, the most insight we get into Yoda in terms of uh, uh, his character in The Empire Strikes Back, in terms of his his perspective and uh, his motivation, which was very cool that that uh, Jim Zub was, was able to write this, but it just yeah. stood out to me that uh, you know after after thinking about Luke's arrival and reaching out in the force and here and, and seeing how Yoda reaches out in the force and the pros uh, for Yoda reaching out in the force is really, are really, really gorgeous. But uh, he, in after sensing Luke Skywalker and kind of understanding that he's going to be a brash, he's brash and reckless. Um, he's thinking, you know, a most, a most amusing, the, this first lesson shall be like, he's thinking to yes. himself. Yeah. And he's already and like, to I'm going to mess and, with this game. And I remember like, uh, uh, Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas um, discussing Yoda and 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 saying that he, he, this was always meant this character was always meant to be the kind of jovial kooky monk on the side of the road, right? In the sort of hero's journey uh, that that is is has all the knowledge and, and is the key to basically the uh, learning the secrets of of what you need. Right. And, and it was it was really cool to see this story kind of begin that journey. And uh, I love when he was first sensing uh, the moment where Luke was landing on the planet and he was uh, to himself. He's like, no, this 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 is an outside presence, a presence he had not felt in many years, potent and prophetic, foreign yet familiar, a Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan's yeah. spirit had contacted Yoda years earlier. His old friend spoke of Anakin's child and hope for the future of the Jedi. But the old master assumed he meant Leia. Yoda relished the chance to help her find her place in the universe and potential within the Force. But this was another. Luke the brash. Luke the reckless. Luke the echo of his father's yearning need to control that which he could not understand. It's, it was really cool to see Yoda's, like, you know, to hear Yoda's point of view um, an internal monologue, you know, in, in this moment. That was really yeah, special. Yeah. They let them do that, and also, yeah. I mean, so that that quote, what what he's recalling, oddly enough, 
is the chapter from from a certain point of view right and yep. there is another there uh, is another there's, there's another, another. Yeah. yeah um which yeah. is kind of a cool call back inside baseball callback yeah it's worth when you look at these books looking back to the first one and i'm sure what we'll get for return of the jedi in a couple of years because there are people like writing their own mini trilogies within these books right yeah. um there's a couple of things i want to mention about this story because again it probably I had it down as an honorable mention on my list, but I knew someone was going to take it. I it was fairly certain it was going to be Grant, so I didn't want to put it on there. But um, there's even a way I don't want to say this without throwing shade at Kasdan, but I'll, I'll do it for a second. Um, there's actually a, a line that allows them to justify clunky writing, which is using the word place three times in three uh, sentences. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I love that where he's like, place, 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 repetition and small bindness. The boy only <laughs> saw the surface of things. I just love that. Like, cause I never noticed that, but the second they wrote those lines three in a row, I'm like, Oh yeah. Why would you say place in three sentences in a row? <laughs> right. Um, but then I love how much Yoda, because we see it in the first book, uh, from a certain point of view, Yoda and Obi-Wan having this debate of like, we get that story of Yoda just deciding that Leia was going to be the one, right? Right. And in this one, we get him coming around to Luke in some ways. Yeah. There's a line which says, the boy did not have the hot-headed anger and confusion that poured from Anakin the Fallen. Also, Anakin the Fallen is amazing. Um, (laughs) Did he have the calm and resolute countenance of his mother, Padme Amidala, Luke Skywalker's form had yet to be set in one mold or another. His glory or downfall were yet to be defined. And that line is such an important line because I have blanked on Luke so much in these first two movies, the more I look at him, how like whiny he is and whatever. <laughs> but like this line from Yoda kind of helps me from this book of understanding he's not formed yet, right? Like he yeah, does show elements of Padme. And elements of Anakin, right? And like, and Yoda realizes it's his duty to step in and push him more towards Padme. Yeah. Right. And it's like a, a hinging moment in his arc where Luke is having these racing thoughts about becoming a Jedi Master and growing and learning and and finding this this warrior, this you know fabled warrior on this planet um, that's going to teach him, and then. Uh, Yoda's point of view throughout the, the, the story, and and honestly, and and Yoda thinking about the, their relationship already kind of uh, 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 prognosticating where 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 things could go, and and the end of this short story really, uh, I, I was affected by it like deeply, yeah, yeah. deeply, um, and that is. Uh, would the boy come to understand harmony, reality, and the future? Could he bring balance to the Force? Yoda would try to show him a way toward the light. The old master hesitated, realizing his own momentary doubt. No, he would not try. There is no try. So yeah. he, he told himself that before he said that to Luke. And that is that fallibility almost that's explored in The Last Jedi and how masters shouldn't just think whatever they say is the most, I think, absolute you know, measure upon which to deal with a certain yeah. situation. I think they I think everyone should sort of think about their approach more strategically or or at least just take the time to contemplate things for longer because the longer you deal with problems I think the yeah you know 
Yeah. And also if you're going to do something, um, do it well and do it right. And right. it's interesting because we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing some, a lot, I don't know, uh, growth from Yoda, obviously from, yeah. you know, his fall and, and his exile. And, um, and it, yeah, it's like, what have you learned in exile? What have you, you know, you're, what have you been doing this time in teachings? And, um, you know, he still believes in the Jedi doctrine, I would say. Yeah. But he knows those things that make a good person and a good Jedi. And that's what he, he's he's found enough there to be able to, to yeah. you know, to coax it out of Luke. And, and there he is. That line, that last line of that story is a connection between all three trilogies. Right. In my yeah. mind, like he did not believe Anakin was the chosen one that brought balance. And that set him up to fail. Right. Luke, he had to be convinced. It took him a while, right? And by the time, and, and he had to be convinced by Obi-Wan, right? And that he still wasn't sure. And in the third trilogy, he is the one that comes to Luke to convince Luke that Rey is the chosen one. Although that's not stated and that's not whatever, but that's kind of yeah. my reading. Was, especially that this, right? Because, because this story specifically seems to suggest that Yoda doesn't think Anakin was the chosen one. Right. And yeah, so they seem fear... to have moved on both yeah. Obi-Wan and Yoda to be like, okay, well, who's next? Who's next? Oh, and then Luke wasn't one. But then you have Luke, Obi-Wan, and Yoda realizing together that Ray is the chosen one, right? That actually the chosen one is a Palpatine. Um who also is a Virgin in the Force. And, I don't, don't want to open that can of worms up because I just realized that in my brain in a weird way. But in Yoda's decision to perpetuate the light, he basically allowed you know the light to go to Luke Skywalker and then to Rey after the fact. Yeah. And I feel like that is... Yoda did do his part in the overall grand design of you know, yeah. saving the galaxy from the dark. He did. It is, that's, I mean, yeah, that's a real mystery. Like... The mystery is the story. The you know that there's no like who is the chosen one. The chosen one is X, right? It's like well they believed it to be Anakin, and right. it, you know, and that that went a certain direction. They believed it to be Luke, that went a certain direction. Then they they believed it to be Ray, and she ended up vanquishing this foe for this era. And right. um and and the debate really the debate is is the story is exactly is the, answer. the the answer will never be satisfying. If, the, if Lucasfilm just right. tomorrow went blank is the chosen one, fill in the blank, Anakin, right. Luke, Ray, whatever you're going to say is just going to be like, because even if you told me it was Ray, I'd be like, oh, man, like, like if you said it was Luke, I'd be like, oh, man. And if you told me it was Anakin, I'd be like, oh, man, yeah. like, right. don't tell me the answer. I love right. the endless debate yeah. and hypothesizing around. I know it. for for an hour before we started recording, we were <laughs> uh, talking about the sequel trilogy again. We do that pretty much every week. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a sign of a good trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we're still like we're still talking about The Last Jedi. Like, yeah. how many years has that been out? I don't uh, even know. Time has no meaning anymore. It's, a, it's either like four years or 70 years. I don't yeah. know. Well, in the time we've recorded this, Trump uh, just got tried to tweet on Trump's uh, campaign uh, Twitter account. What? And I got banned. Wait, so so that. Oh, man. Okay. So. So how long until he tries to like jump, hire jump. some little kid with a lawnmower to use this? Anyways, a lot's or, happening. Well, yeah, I almost said something that we would have had to delete <laughs> out. They won't say it. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. I'm, I'm sorry just, to say the T word no, on the podcast. I swear. No, no, no. But thank you for sharing. I almost called out a Star Wars actor who might yeah. have shared their pod, their 
feed for Trump, but never mind. You can you can in, intuit that Moving without um, yes. <laughs> being uh, right. liable. Ben, I think you're up. Ben, I think you're up. <laughs> Moving that on. My turn already. Sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna ben, light things up me. with uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna lighten up the mood a little bit with a, a little uh, chapter called "The Final Order" uh, by <laughs> Seth Dickinson, and um, you get a lot of so th- this book is pretty much a third Hoth, a third Bespin. With a lot of overlapping stories in both. Yeah. And a third on Imperial Star Destroyers um, or um, the big ships that I can't think of right now. Um, Imperial Star Destroyers. So this isn't just a, this was like the third or fourth like admiral or, you know, officer on on a ship. And I was like, OK, all right. What's the difference of this guy? And so it's this old, you know, old for the Empire. um, uh, uh, officer and, and Tion, his like, you know, new XO, his, uh, you know, um, executive officer and, um, at his side. And, and so a lot of the beginning of it, again, this is one starts sort of in a certain way and then ends a different, and it's the interplay of their relationship. Um, I'm trying to remember, actually, I've got the, um, this is this is a uh, Cannon Seth House Dickinson. Yeah, right? Seth Dickinson. Yes, I, and I think I th- yeah. sorry if I didn't mention that. Um, what's his name? It's it's a Cannon House. Cannon it? House, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's it's this older gentleman and then this this young upstart, and she's full of vin and vigor and loves the Empire and all this stuff. And you you start getting the sense slowly over the course of the story. Of him just sort of being like, oh, yeah, you think the Empire is so great? That's really cute. That's great. And this is a guy sort of, you know, the old cop, you know, just waiting for, you know, um, tenure to, or not tenure, but, um, you know, wait, waiting to retire, essentially. And um, but then more and more of his background comes out and the things he's seen. And he explains viscerally like what a uh laser blast us to the body which i thought was a really good contribution to the star wars galaxy because you know it's a joke like oh pew 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 you know but it's like oh no it singes a hole and yep. sometimes it cooks the water in your body and it explodes and yeah. sometimes you know sometimes it just leaves you just bones because it just vaporizes all the flesh off your body and which is what we saw in a new hope with um with uh uncle owen and aunt Peru. Um, and, and like, and, and that's called boning or like, there's a word for it. Um, and yeah, so he starts getting darker and darker, but it wasn't just like the dark tone of it. it then s- suddenly it starts like congealing in his head or the, the real message starts coming together in his head and he's trying to, you know, be a good officer and, um, you know, and, and be a good mentor to his his protege and he doesn't want to get into like this fight, but he knows he still needs to fight the battle. But then he just comes this realization and I've just got this and he starts really thinking about the empire and it sort of comes together in this one statement. And I'm just going to read it. Um, The real purpose of the empire is to give people like Vader the power to do anything they want. The bureaucracy, the ideology, the gleaming system we so admire it accretes around the central core of cruelty solely because a bureaucracy allows us, the followers, to rationalize our uh, part uh, participation through laws and protocols. If there is a cruelty the emperor wishes to commit, a reason will appear for it. 
If there is an atrocity Vader perpetrates, a bureau for a directorate or a fleet or a squadron or a legion or a special sort of stormtrooper will be created to carry it forward as necessary for the security of the galaxy. There is no restraint or principle at the center of the new order, and that is why people admire it. The Empire does all the things that people secretly believe should be done with power. Mm. And I mean, obviously, there's some resonation there with what's going on in our world right now. Um, but it also is the crossover, you know, like for a while before, you know, pre-Trump autocracy fascism, there was it was a joke. It was like the Empire was right, you know, subreddits and things yeah. like that. And people would joke about it. But it's like, where do you draw the line there? And this is the line. It's sort of like. You know, this is, is this is the core of the Empire's mission and, and the machine they are creating to dominate and why they dominate. And it's it's horrible people doing horrible things and creating systems to facilitate that yeah. uh, with power. And uh, anyway, so it, it start. I don't know that it just left it gets even thing. darker too. it gets even darker. Oh, okay. And just the military jargon throughout, like, is incredibly well written. Uh, this was yeah, did you awesome. find another one? Short story. Well, yeah, there's a part where um, I believe he writes, in the end, the Empire would not be about tactics and procedures and logic. It would be about empty cruelty of men like Vader. It would be, be fear, for fear's sake, power without purpose, symbol yeah. without meaning, nothingness, nonsense. A man in a mask, like the, the Hendan death masks that had given him nightmares as a child. When we took off the mask, there was there was no man. It, it's it there. It gets really dark. Like this is right. some fantastic writing. It really is. Um, it's funny. This didn't make my list for the same reason that uh, the first one on my list made my list because it, as you mentioned, Ben, it it resonates with what's been going on this yeah. week a and. The point where I'm just like, yeah, this is also really true and super depressing, but it, it speaks to a, to a truism about humans. And I think yeah. the, the 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 chapters that work best in these series, just like a naturalist on Hoth and all those things, are just. I think we we were talking about this off air that like like human stories work whether they're in a galaxy far far away or taking place now or a hundred years from now or. 500 years before now right like it just speaks to the true nature of humans and i think this this chapter does right and the way that it builds up to it it reminds me of like michael clayton you ever seen that mm, movie it's like yeah. George michael Clooney actually incredible would, it's yeah, incredible it really right? is yeah and he like Clooney would be a great um admiral oh you see, know yeah, wow, good yeah yeah but like because it's just like it starts off sort of where he's just like ugh, you know beat down like the rest of us and he's ptsd like he's thinking about his time in the jungle you know and you know that's very vietnam-esque and all this stuff and then like to, to where it is and then it, but like it comes together and and then just like like you both said um it's he's so uh dickinson's so eloquent um, at the end and through this character yeah uh, that that that's what grabbed me and I, I really I really appreciated that eloquence and I really yeah like you said Adam like the way that he he phrased it this truism um, was what what re resonated with me so it yeah was, uh, just really amazing writing so good and and uh, your third one Adam. yeah all right so I feel like I'm gonna like follow up the depressing with more depressing so I when I was putting this list together I saw 
it would have been really nice and neat if I chose Stet by Daniel Jose Alder, which is a yeah. honorable mention, but it's not my third. <laughs> on brand. On brand. I, it's not my third. I would. I should I have, have about chosen twenty it. honorable mentions here. So. Yeah, I I should have chosen it, but it didn't quite get there. There are things I really liked about it. That would have made my droid trifecta perfect. But right, the one that stuck around with me, and the reason it stuck around with me is because it's going to change how I view empire and that's amazing to me when i read this yeah and i watch empires can change it and that is um she will keep them warm by delilah oh. s dawson that yeah um a powerful powerful piece and delilah s dawson for a second is a is a well-established star wars writer in her own right um she wrote phasma and star wars galaxy's edge um and Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is this like secret Phasma sequel. Yeah. And, those and it's, books secretly, are... it's secretly awesome. Too. It's so oh, yeah. I would compare it to Last Shot in terms of like Last Shot and the Galaxy's Edge book by Don S. Dawson are yeah. like really fun, deep yeah. cut, so, fantastic Star Wars books. I'm sure there are, are, are listeners who didn't read it because it felt like it was an advertisement for the Galaxy's theme park. Edge because that was what the outside looked like. Yeah. But read it. It is such a good book. It's really good. And that and the character of V Marathi, I think, is is the yeah. character who is it who trails both is so good. Uh she also wrote the short story The Perfect Weapon, uh, which I really, oh, that was really fantastic. Really yeah. yeah. We talked yeah. about that a lot, actually. So she's great. Uh also her Instagram's great because we follow her. So check her Instagram out. But all that aside, I, I nominated this before I realized who wrote it. And this story floored me. <laughs> to the point where like tauntauns are sad enough in star wars yeah but the fact like i don't even have any quotes really from this i looked at my like notes i have two quotes but the fact that like like luke takes out a tauntaun that gets killed by the wampa and then han takes out that tauntaun's mother <laughs> yeah right and, right yeah. And like the last line. Well, it kind of that's the end, right? That's essentially the end of this. That's it. Like, I don't have a lot to say about it, Oof. but it floored me. It like I almost yeah. cried. Like I was actively shook by this story in such a beautiful way. But the last line is she will find her daughter and protect her, protect the next generation of tonlets in her daughter's belly. She is driven by blood and love. She will protect those that she loves. She will keep them warm. Yeah. That line enough is devastating. So basically, the rebellion is responsible. And I don't mean it's necessarily negative. You can kind of read this any way you want. But it is responsible for the death of three generations <laughs> of right. this family. Yeah. Um, but they do it. She does a good job, Delilah. Well, maybe the Hoth naturalist will unite with the mother's children. I don't no, know, like because the, the mother's dead, the child's dead, and the child that was in the belly of this of the they all died. Oh, okay, because one gets killed by because one who is pregnant gets killed by the wampa, and then the mother who goes out freezes to death because of Han. But like, here's the thing: like, you watch that movie, <laughs> right? Like, you want to yeah. cry, but you watch the movie, and it's like <laughs> it does such a good job because like Luke's not to blame for the wampa attack, right? And yes, Han is told that his Tauntaun will die before he gets to the first marker. But at the same time, he's going after the hope of the rebellion and his best friend. So it's this thing that makes you think about 
and I am not vegetarian or vegan. Um, and I have no, I have no problems with vegetarian and vegans. I'm just saying that because I want to follow up the next statement. It makes you think about our relationships with animals <laughs> in a really interesting way, right? Like in a way that doesn't feel preachy and whatever, where I almost like, I read this story and I want to be like, I, I don't think I'm ever going to eat meat again. <laughs> Right. And then I and I, and then I and then I had some chicken that night. But my point is, is like it it it's such a great story. And then also it's just like flooring. Anyway, it yeah. just it really hit me. It's really brave of an author to try and write from the POV of an animal. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to do well. And Delilah did it very well. Um, and like down to like all the sort of territorial things. I mean, it was like an Attenborough was narrating it. It was, it was right? fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was heart wrenching. It was tough cause I knew where this is going and I'm glad it sort of ended at the, um, at the blast doors and not where we knew all knew it was going. Yeah. Cause but like, yeah. Uh, she's like, I will keep them warm. And it's warm. like, yeah, you will. you will not in the way you think, but you will. And like, but it's still like beautiful in its own way because her last thoughts were right. Like she kept the, the hope of the rebellion, the person who will bring the end of the Sith warm like right like it's this yeah. weird it's this like beautiful sacrifice that the animal doesn't know it's sacrificing itself and its offspring for so that's why it's just, that's why yeah you just leave, doing what its nature tells it to do yeah you leave it without hating humans right like it's this weird like it leaves you just this weird moment of just like what does it all mean right like, <laughs> like everything's connected but maybe not in the way we think it's connected right right Shnikes. Well, I'm sure uh, Grant's uh, third pick would be very uplifting. Well, you guys clearly know my third pick as well, which is Virgins. <laughs> I, I texted you guys yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, Virgins blew my mind because I, I actually had, I was very creative when I was yeah. in the Star Wars when I was younger, and I, I, I dabbled in my own ideas of what that, that cave could be on Dagobah and what the past could be for it. And uh, it's tantalizingly kind of uh, uh, shown shown to us, or at least teased in this uh, kind of short story where someone imagines sort of what could have been taking place before even there. Yoda was on Dagobah. So did you and like it? Because I remember you telling me about this cave because you had plans for this cave and that I know it fascinated. I had wild plans for this cave in, in a certain yeah. screenplay that I had written. And um and that can easily just not be this planet. But that, it, it was it was I always thought this this cave was a great hinging element to then write a new trilogy or to, to show something in the past and have Dagobah still be in the mix. I think I think this planet could have a history backwards and forwards in the timeline, you know, however they want to play it, because it's a fascinating planet. And it actually I actually when I first read this short story, I thought we were. I thought I was being told from the like the snake's point of view in the cave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I like, are we that snake? Like, just like, <laughs> are we that like python on the branch there? And then, um, no, we. I guess it's actually just the the virgins or the force, like kind of nexus that's there, right? It's kind of yeah. like that the perspective of the force, whatever. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's a conversation there. we could have because, like, what is it? It was like in the beginning there was nothing, you know, there was nothing. And then I was a thing and then it like happened. And then like, it's been there for millions of years. I think, it, you know, like or thousands of rotations, millions of rotations. Like it, it just sort of, it just existed. 
And I was like, well, what is it? it I, I did watch the movie right before our podcast uh, today. And and there is architecture to the cave. It's like, yes, he drops down into that hole and there's roots and stuff. But it, well, he crosses there, well, there's this, there's this part where there were um, Tracy Dion, I should say, uh, wrote this. And it, it's really, really beautiful uh, writing as well. But and yet the dark one. So this is. I found out that at the end of the, at the end of the day, I, I, had, I had to look it up online. But the, the point of view is actually the cave itself. Yes. Yeah. That's the yeah. point of view. And I, yeah. I always thought it was like the nexus or like the the um, the kind of um, virgins of the force. I thought it was sort of like just the force in that area. I didn't think it was. I didn't know it was the cave. And then right up online, it's the cave itself. And then, but and yet the dark ones called me dark too. So dark is my color. They they used to arrive in their ships. The harsh piercing whine of engines the artificial lifeless sound jarred every living thing within my stone walls and without it took scores of them before i knew that i was that i had been and that i am that some few of them had created stairs to make my entrance easier to manage before that i exited but did not know so i absorbed awareness from the visitors these force users until i gained my own first understanding time and i was like oh so force users had basically built this ancient dark yep. temple it's a on Sith temple on yeah. it's a Sith yeah. temple confirmed and period. it was not dark it might have been a virgins of the force like it might have been a nexus of the force but it wasn't dark until it was told time and you time are... and time again that it's a dark virgins of the force right it's labeling theory from a sociological standpoint right like it didn't see itself as evil until it was told it was evil and dark by this you know, consistent uh, invasion by Sith. Well, and going back to the uh, Ralph McQuarrie art for Dagobah, there is the a dark obsidian temple that he had mm. uh, drawn. Yeah, that's you can quite incredible. I, I do want a large size format print of that because that yeah. it's gorgeous. And they, they did very minimal parts of that in the set. You can just tell suddenly there's architecture that he's walking into. And as soon as he crosses the threshold into this sort of polygon hallway, um, that's when yeah. he meets up with, with Vader. And the, the, the temple seems to feed off of fear and dark energy. And yeah. Turmoil. I love those descriptions of sort of like penetrating people's minds and understanding their thoughts and kind of like surrounding them and, making their and feeding off their fears obviously and like it, it really fed off people right it was yeah. like people left with its belly full like like yeah. it had gained all their dark horrors yeah and, and you know their mirror struggles their greatest obstacles right but then we get a but then we get a little green being <laughs> yeah that moves in next door yeah it's like three's company but there's just two of them <laughs> in the force and, yeah and that was that was honestly my favorite part of the entire short story. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And he was just like he would come a lot and it was like every turn and like every, you know, twice a turn. And they're like, you know, and then less frequently. And they, they talk about his experience there. And then, of course, we get to the Empire Strikes Back part. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't want to skip to the end on you here, Grant. Um, but the the end is makes me think that, you know, just like Adam said. You are what you're, you're taught to be. And yeah. it seems like slowly Yoda has, might have taught him to be. Yeah. 
or right? like something else. Yeah. Yeah. Just this, these memories. And I love it. it. Just I won't read it, but it lists all of the things that it threw at Yoda. Right. Yeah. Like all of Yoda's failures just over and over and over again. And Grant, I don't know if you have what it is. What it is, it's the perfect image of light and dark, I feel like, uh, to me at the end of this, where it's uh, as Luke's ship rises and he rushes to his friends, uh, a fifth understanding dawns in the light, a word that is both emotion and fact, one that acknowledges the past and the future and the present, one that means hope and sacrifice. The word that this understanding is one I cannot mimic or shape into terror, no matter how hard I try it is alliance. Yeah. And I feel like even Yoda yeah. in the cave have this sort of a, a relationship or alliance, yeah. and they're a representative of, of, of light and dark in the, yeah. the entire chapters. I think interesting. Yeah. In that. I stepped away for a second, so I don't know if you have the Yoda's line where he replies to the cave. Um, oh, which is years are these? Okay. Yeah. Did we talk about that already? I don't know if we did, no, but we it, it's a great line. So we after. After Yoda is shown all is shown all his failures, the is shown Dooku and the rising of the clone troopers and Ahsoka's right. fall and Anakin's fall. He's shown all these things over and over. Yoda just says he turns abruptly, smiling. Old fears are these stubborn, but see them. I must. Yoda stands against his tormentors, nodding, not at them, but at me. My thanks you have. Right. Like Yoda's like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for keeping me humble, basically, for reminding me that I'm not perfect. <laughs> And that's like I think that's what starts this 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 balance right between the right. tree and Yoda. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, I think Yoda's probably been doing it over and over again where like Yoda always yeah. comes unarmed and he just listens to the to the cave over and over and over again. Yeah. And, um, you know, without without threat or whatever. And he's like, OK, you're showing my me your fears. But it's yeah. like now this is actually a lesson he's teaching the yeah. temple. Which... And by the word, you know, by alliance, that is like, oh, I mean, that goes against everything the Sith stand yeah. for, right? It's just sort of like this is, you know, there is no alliance. It's always power for power's sake, help yeah. yourself and not others. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm working together with this with this being for, you know, mutual whatever. And, and we are friends or, you know, we're at least together. And it's The tree passes on a lesson or teaches Yoda a lesson that Yoda passes on to Luke in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Failure, the best teacher is. Right. Yeah, because yeah. Right. all he's been doing right. in Agaba is being reminded about his failures. His failures, right? And and he sees that as a teaching moment, right? Of of how he knows he can do better in the future. There are a few stories in this in this book that enhance the Last Jedi greatly, and yeah. um, it, it's very exciting to read this stuff. And then I'm excited to watch it again. Yeah. Well, speaking of failure, um, so we're gonna get to my last one, which you guys probably could have guessed. Um, I am a huge obi-wan kenobi fanboy yep. yep and uh so we get one obi-wan chapter here and we get a very different obi-wan from any of the other ones we've seen and uh it, it, so it was uh there is always another uh, by Mackenzie lee and um so this is tough for me to swallow because I, I adore obi-wan <laughs> and his role in all this and i always you know we see obi-wan you know the the white knight in the clone wars um, and, you know, he wins his battle and then he goes into exile and then he gets wiser. Right. He he, he and, and then he faces uh, Maul in Rebels and he uses his wisdom to defeat foes and he uses his wisdom to help Luke. And so, I mean, he's sort of he's kind of the Gandalf of like the original trilogy and most of what we've seen in um, 
in Star Wars so far, so much so that he is like a model for what Ahsoka is probably going to be going forward um, yeah. and, and probably other characters. But um, so I expect this really wise at peace um, character, Obi-Wan Kenobi, version of Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's now, you know, he's he's helped uh, defeat the Death Star. He, you know, he's helped Luke on his path to become a Jedi. But the first sentence of this is... I had hoped that dying would be enough to untangle me from the Skywalker. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. it's like you, it's like death is just like more annoying than yep. anything that's happened in Obi-Wan's life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can, there's just the thing is like it, the way he talks about Yoda and the way that, so in this scene, it's Obi-Wan watching, luke about to like take off after at the very very end of his training with yoda um and he's like Ugh. um and and he realizes he has to step in to try and stop this because luke needs more training etc cetera, etc cetera. but he's watching yoda and in like one sentence which is i hope this doesn't hurt you too badly uh grant but it says the jedi order may have died out but their dedication to posturing theatrics is alive and well in master yoda <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh yeah i, I, I had never like, questioned any of it when i lived in the temple the robes and the ceremony and the rituals and the endless rules that had been carved into me so deeply and at such a young age that i sometimes couldn't discern what i actually believed in and what had simply been told to me over and over before i was old enough to understand what any of it meant yeah it's it's a you know we've talked about it a lot. It's sort of, you know, there was a failure by the Jedi order at its height, right. That led to and in Darth Vader and it's, it's elucidated. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm butchering words right now. I, I want to use elucidate. Um, yeah. by, right. by, by Mackenzie Lee beautifully yeah. um, described beautifully um, in this. It's, it's just hard because poor Obi-Wan. And, and I mean, it's, I don't think it's a departure because it perfectly matches the, the tenor of uh, Sir Alec Guinness's yeah, performance in um, in Empire Strikes Back. Um, so in that way, it's it's quite a. You got to read this. I mean, you've yeah. got to read this whole book, but this whole chapter is just so great. Qui Gon and and Obi Wan also had a very turbulent relationship though too. So it's yeah. it's organic yeah. in that respect, especially after reading Master Apprentice. Uh, I think yep. this worked. Perfectly. And he mentions that. He yeah. mentions that he talks about like how you know. He, yeah, I mean he he's also an old man that has regrets and and you know had 20 years in the desert to think about it and we're going to see it in a you know a live action show. Yeah. But I mean one of the things yeah he mentions is sort of like I sh it, our roles should have been reversed. I should have been the rebel and yeah. Qui-Gon should have been the one keeping the state straight and narrow. Yeah. I mean the the, the one more quote that I'm going to bring out here uh, at least but definitely this one is 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 one thing I never really thought about with Obi-Wan which is very sad, but he's, it is essentially the fact that he had his entire prime robbed of him. He didn't, he never wanted to be a father. Nope. You know, yep. and, and he at 20 was something <laughs> thrust. He was thrust into fatherhood at, you know, yeah. At like 18 or something, 18, he was, yeah. you know, woefully unprepared a situation that wasn't fair to him. It wasn't fair to Anakin. It wasn't fair to any, you know, and, yeah. and it was an impossible mission that was put in front of him. And, I mean, sort of sad, but this this is a quote. He's like, I've uh, I'd never had a real chance to figure out what sort of Jedi, let alone what sort of master I wanted yeah. to be, 
Without him, before this nine-year-old prodigy no one wanted was thrust upon me, an entire other life suddenly and totally depended on me, and my life recalibrated around being the man this scrappy hothead needed so he could fulfill his destiny. It is just like, I never had a destiny. I was always just like the one that was set to to marshal this other person. And yeah, it, it's it's a little dark and it's a little curmudgeonly. He's not wrong. And he didn't, it it also might sound like sour grapes. Like he ultimately wasn't successful. Right. Yeah. And he's, you know, maybe he's explaining him to himself, like, but he's also impressed by Luke, I think, uh, on Dagobah where he's like, uh, you know, death is better than Dagobah. Yeah. That was one of the swamp. The swamp world crystallizes around me. I was shocked. Luke stayed, stayed this long. Yeah. If it were Anakin sent here with minimal instructions delivered to him by a ghost only to see his ship swallowed by a sinkhole, Yoda cracking his droid on the dome, then deeming him unteachable before they had chance to talk about anything beyond Yoda's terrible cooking. (laughs) Yeah. Like Anakin would have lost it. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, he's, he's, just, I, he's like he would find a way to walk off the planet. Yeah, yeah. Totally I want to build on Ben. You mentioned this is kind of like it builds off of Anik of Alec Guinness's or Sir Alec Guinness's performance. And so this is another thing of like it's amazing marrying the literature that we know of of Obi Wan with an actor who doesn't want to be in a film. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, because Alec Guinness, if you read any of the stories, like, he well, I think he found it Empire. compelling to an extent. He yeah, was I mean, like, he was probably samurai super character at this point. George has told George has told me I'm doing a, a samurai character. I, in the first one, <laughs> yeah. and in the first one, and then the second and third one, he thought Star Wars was super dumb and hated the fact that he was only going to remember for Star Wars and had to be forced into these movies because of a contractual obligation. So if you read the oral history of it, <laughs> Alex Guinness read these lines begrudgingly and it works for the film. <laughs> yeah. Great. But that's how you write like everything plus his, plus his choices to do this. But I, you know, I think that's great. There's so many great lines in the story, but Grant, you know, you said he is impressed with Luke and the way that is it Mackenzie Lee ends this ends it or comes close to ending it says there's a line that broke my heart, which is um, he turns back to us for a moment. Speaking of Luke, and there he is, the dumb, beautiful son of my dumb, beautiful friend <laughs> who could never be talked out of anything he set his mind to. And that moment is just is heartbreaking, right? Where, like, as much as he's a grouchy old man, he misses and loves his friend, and he misses and loves his friend's son, right? Like, just that line is such a great line. Yeah. Very Obi-Wan Kenobi, both Ewan McGregor and Sir Alec Guinness. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, yeah, all in one. It's just beautifully written. And um, yeah, it's a little tough to swallow, but uh, for for super fanboys like myself, but it's not because it's beautifully written and it's tone perfect. It is. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I'm trying to I, I'd pull a million um, out of here, but um, yeah, relentless was the word Bale had most used uh, when he sent me reports about her, her being Leia. Her mother would have been proud. Yeah. Like this oh, is. It's yeah. Just, There's also a couple like random like comments on here that are interesting to canon uh and there's one that says this isn't the first time i've had to make an appearance here to facilitate a group a group therapy session with him and yoda yeah so luke had seen uh his force ghosts a couple times or at least yoda had that he's had to pop in a few times yeah he's like i had to spend like i visit him in no less than six dreams to try to convince to even keep this kid around 
And then the other thing is that we finally get an answer because one of the biggest questions surrounding The Empire Strikes Back is how long does this movie take place? Right? Because it's like, yeah. it, it's the cutting back and forth makes it really unclear about how long these things happen. But he says, as though carrying Yoda on your shoulders and eating his terrible cooking for a few weeks makes you yeah. a Jedi. So clearly... Luke was on Dagobah for at least a few weeks, which means I guess Han, Leia, Chewie, and the droids were on Cloud City for a few weeks. Well, but they were also in the Exegorth and they were in the Asteroid. How long were they in there for? A couple, like, I guess maybe days. Yeah, how right. long were they sitting on the back of a Star Destroyer? Right? Like, like it's, it's, it's interesting because then you're just like, oh, I guess they were just sitting. They were like guests of uh, Yeah, they Lando. do sit in two weeks. spots, I think. They sit in the yeah. Star Destroyer and the Exegorth. Yeah, and then best. Bit. It's a it's really fun pacing. I I I don't really find any discrepancies no. when I watch it. Yeah. I, I I fall into the fantasy head first. It's pretty fantastic. I don't think I ever thought about it until probably my like a hundredth and twentieth viewing The Empire Strikes yeah. Back. People mentioned it on the internet where I'm like, you're just you're watching the movie wrong if your question is how long was Luke on Dagobah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I would have guessed a week. He yeah, was on Dagobah, me too. But, yeah, so three x that. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. That's great. Between, between, if we're getting real technical, it's between three and seven because a few is between three and seven, and more than seven is several. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, that was our t- top three, uh, resident three each. Um, but obviously, forty stories here for forty year uh, anniversary of this movie. Um, well. There's obviously more stories here. Any other any other bits and bobs? Any other um, high water marks you want to mention uh, well, quickly? I'm slightly offended we haven't mentioned Duan Batu yet. Yeah, yeah. Given we talk about Will Hood like every you know other episode. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. It's very true. We got some. Uh, we got the behind the scenes of a cult favorite, Will Hood. Um, with his um, uh, Canto band, what's it called? Catano. Cantona. Cantona. Thank you. Yeah, and and we get the story behind that, um, which is legend. We just knew he was running with his uh, ice cream maker uh, yep. for many years, and a Comic Con favorite. Um, yeah. I actually I adored this story. I was like, that's a, that sounds about right. There was like love and intrigue and um, and some scoundrelness and some swashbuckling and um and some deception and it was a i thought it was a really fun story like backstory to why this man was sprinting around with an ice cream maker yeah i i will say that is so well written it was a great story it completely violates my head cannon around Will Rowhood, but that's fine. <laughs> no one knows what that is except me and listeners of the podcast. But I like the fact that my head cannon is that he was a you know lonely widower on Cloud City whose wife left him, and his last uh, his last anniversary present from his wife was an ice cream maker. So when he got <laughs> the news to evacuate, the one thing he chose to just take as he ran for his life was the last gift his dead wife gave him. <laughs> but this is also a good story. No, I, I it's yeah. really well written. I really did enjoy it. It's it's there, there are some um, nods to the ice cream, you know, yes. maker itself uh, in that. But he's looking forward to like ice cream on Batu or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100 yeah, percent. So I appreciate that. And I think I think post Mandalorian, 
you kind of have to yeah, it makes sense that there's more going on with this ice cream maker right it's yeah. a, a way to smuggle things right and it's 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 a it's a thing you put valuable instruments in and i actually noticed in um the luke skywalker scene when he's putting all his hastily gathering all his belongings to leave dagobah and just yeah. after his friends you can see there's a cargo compartment underneath the x-wing which is like that's the kind of stuff i'm i'm here for um and like that's where you put your baggage, sort of like a bus liner <laughs> or something. And sure enough, he's got a Cantono there, right in the, uh, oh, in the hole. Wow. Nice. So I yeah. mean, Favreau really made that can, and Favreau and Filoni really made that cannon with uh, yeah. Mandalorian. Uh, but it was there before. Yeah, it, it was used multiple times. So love it. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. I mean, the Exegorth. Yeah, uh, that was on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah talk about tugging at your heartstrings and again the science fiction there about like existing you know they just do they just orbit cycles around the galaxy yeah which can take like a billion years and like you do one cycle of a billion years and you're still an infant and it just shows how meaningless this whole (laughs) galactic civil war and sith and jedi really are at the end of the day like it, it was it was really a neat it was it was the most science fictiony story in the entire collection and yeah and is on my list. I, I was I was wondering if Ben, you were going to select it or not, but uh, I I understand why you didn't. Yeah, I mean those other ones just hit me first. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I didn't I didn't give a lot of thought to the stories I picked. I just sort of was like, what your reaction? What are the first ones that come to my mind that I that I really loved? And those are the ones. But um, the Exego story was amazing. One of the other, it, so it's there's like this, they have festival is sort of the wrong thing but they do a meeting of yeah. the exegorths sort of like every billion years and um but it's it makes them kind of petty and materialistic uh um, yeah. but they sort of like brag about what their what sort of worlds they've created on their insides to each other yeah um yeah. so which is like okay and that's where poor um our poor exegorth um i feel bad i haven't been using proper names for any of these characters but it's like Zo Zio Zio, I think was the name. Right. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Sio uh, Sio Sio Sio. Thank you. And um, you know, and so he sort of he learns a valuable lesson and goes back and tries harder the next time. But uh, but it reminded me there was a story in the um, Tales of Luke Skywalker, which is again like a, a young right. reader book that I would recommend to everyone. Yeah. Lots of um, because it's 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 the era of Luke. I really want to have a show and it's fantastic. But one of the chapters, there's a Sith temple built in an Exegorth. Mm. And um, you can you find out that they can create an atmosphere, atmosphere, customize an atmosphere within themselves for various beings to, you know, customizable habitats, which is really kind of cool. And so there's this maze of a of a you know, um, Jedi temple on there and they find beings in there. Like there were people living in this Exegorth for, for years and years and years. So, um, I don't know. It, it, I just thought that really added to the, that was a great connection. Yeah. I don't know who was responsible for that? Whether it was Hidalgo or, you know, who, you know, made, they were like, Oh, if you're going to do an Exegorth story, you got to read this one. Like, I'm sure that happened at some point. Uh, but it was a great connection to that. And and also the fact that they made like this giant space slug that, you know, when you're watching the movie, it looks like, oh, it's this, you know, mean spirited thing is like, no, I love you. Come back. <laughs> Don't leave me. Because yeah. it's really this loving thing. This is like, oh, we'll create a loving environment and we will live yeah. together and it'll be so sweet. And it was yeah. uh, 
that was a great take on the it giant. was super cool um i had down amara kell's rules for the rules for the pilot for pilot survival probably yeah. probably <laughs> in, a, in a tie fighter that was genius it was a genius yeah uh, yeah it was so good it actually reminded me uh, this is funnier than what i read but like the um we talked about the believer episode of the Mandalorian, right? Where we see the empire as beaten down and, and cheering and seeing the returning heroes type of thing. And this is such a good job of painting like these grunts, but like you cheer for them at the end. Like you want them to survive. You want her to find, you want Amara to find love. Like, like you find yourself just wrapped in this going like, don't die. Cause you're wondering which ones are going to like actually get destroyed which tie pilots are going to get destroyed when you're when you're reading this and you're attached to all of them. It's really it was really a neat story. Yeah, we have to do a love pillar. We've talked about this the last few, but now I'm realizing that this is the forgotten pillar that we haven't really defined yet because it's really a fascinating the, aspect the of Star Wars. Element, you might say. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, yeah, it is. Um, but this one was straight up sexy. Like I was just yeah. <laughs> Like they don't usually get into like it was you know they just like have like an impromptu tryst and a shower yep. like in the yeah. middle of it. and you don't see that in Star Wars very much but they they built you know they scaffold around it so that it felt very much part of Star Wars. Yeah. George also, George was going to take it in that direction. Yeah, George was going to do that yeah. with Darth Talon. It sounds like for a sequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah, like a a, a sexy villain. Yeah, there's room for that for yep. sure. Um. Yeah, so that was that was a super fun one too. Yeah, um, and there's a there's a lot of like wild like they really went deep into the like well this could have happened out there. Um, Admiral Sloan has a whole like chapter in there, but what she's doing parallel to this, and I, I really couldn't find her in the movie when I watched it again. No, I don't, currently yeah. she's out there. There is a scene where you see a meeting um, while they're doing the. Uh, the sweep through the asteroid belt and there's three admirals uh in front of vader i think um vader's you know on the deck vader's on the deck of his superstar destroyer and there's three admiral holograms there and one blinks out yep and i think that was the ultimatum i think that was slowing ship yeah yeah destroyed which they show you when he blinks out he kind of goes like ah like he's about to get killed i do love that moment stuck with me as a kid. <laughs> like, oh, that, yeah. that guy just died. That yeah, entire ship. Died. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, keep going. You, uh, go. I was going to say, Kevin Scott, um, who's writing in the New Republic, or the, the Higher yeah. Republic, wrote a Jackson the Rabbit uh, That was chapter. wild. Yeah. Make like, it wild. You make it. Yeah, Which, I remember that one. Jackson has been, like, somewhat canonized in some of the short story stuff, like for Jedi uh, Temple Challenge, and I think in the IDW series. But he has like made his full appearance now in like a, yeah. like an adult reader, and I'm like, I love it. Like it was it was a fun little chapter, and I just anytime you you mention Jackson, I'm I'm on board. And to totally. make him fit into that story in a way that seemed believable, I I loved it. Yeah, I was like, oh no, he's not gonna go into that room. And like you know, with Darth Vader, and I'm like, can you imagine a giant bunny rabbit opening the doors and seeing Darth Vader? Like right. the, the that scene, I thought was hilarious. Yeah. It was. Hilarious. Uh, and this uh, this chapter in that chapter, Black uh, Santan gets a uh, gets yes. an honor. Get yeah. yeah, drop his name, which I'm like, love it. Yeah, speaking, I mean, speaking of bounty hunters, a tooth and claw was uh, a standout 
short yeah. story for me. Just just learning a bit about Bosk's background and, and like the Scorch or whatever that desert is called or their home world. Yes. That, that was, was cool. That was a fun yeah. chapter. I was going to say we didn't talk at all about the bounty hunters, which is criminal um, because there was five or six bounty hunter stories in here about those um, those characters that we see. Uh, which I, you know, I thought that was going to be the highlight of all the stuff, and and they were fantastic stories. Um, yeah, there was a couple Boba Fett stories in there, like where you know he's doing Boba Fett things that are fantastic. Um, but yeah, a, a, a Bosk POV chapter that came out of nowhere and told a story you never would have expected to see. Yeah, uh, was great. I really that of the of the, all the bounty hunter stories? I think Tooth and Claw is my favorite, just because it felt like a standalone story that doesn't necessarily. Like they they connected it to what happened in Empire, but to have this whole it's actually fairly long for one yeah, of the stories. It was pretty long, yeah. But to have this story of like like we know about well, you may not all know about it, but but it's you know, a lot of lore about the relationship between Wookiees and uh Trandoshans and all that stuff. And so that was nice to see. And just the reveal of that chapter was fun, right? Like, right, and right. like Chainbreaker was Chainbreaker a Trandoshan. Yeah. Green it was of the same of the same spawning as Bosk, it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And believed of... in the Wookiee way. It was it was almost I mean, it was a twist on um like West Side story sort of thing, which is like they'd been yeah. enemies for so long, but she was rescued by the other side and was because, sort of like yeah. Because I mean, it's not only related, it's Bosk's sister, right? Bosk hey. didn't finish eating her. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Like they like basically the way traditions work is they all spawn together. They're all born together. And then whoever lives is the main child. And he apparently ate Chainbreaker, but just ate all of her arms and legs. But Limbs, like like yeah. it's it's gruesome, but really does such a good job of painting the Trandoshan kind of uh culture. Yeah, it it's the kind of stuff I about Bosk that I'd love to see. Um yeah, it's you know like in a comic or something, you know, like that's where yeah, we kind of thought Bounty Hunters was going to go. Um and you know, and it, there's great great Dengar stuff in there if you're a Dengar guy, which I am. Uh, and IG88, like we never get uh you know, there's been a, a Forces of Destinies uh episode with uh, IG88, but he's just sort of a, a mindless, you know, hunter at that point, but uh this was great to get inside his head. Um yeah. Yeah, enjoyed the internal IG88 monologue. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a lot of good, a lot of good stuff. And not oh yeah, Forlom and Zuckus. That was a weird one, man. That was wild. I. It's definitely the most one of the most apart from the the Wills chapter. It's probably the most creative in terms of I enjoyed. Like, the author clearly wrote this. Because and I don't have the name. Oh, by da oh, it's Daniel Hosell, who's writing uh, in the in the High Republic. Like it's funny because I'm sure he's dealt with these comments from editors before. Because that's yeah, an yeah. editing term. Yeah. And so, like, I, I really enjoyed reading that. It was really tongue in cheek about like just getting all these things meta. from editor droid. Yeah, it was really. I, I enjoyed it. It almost made my top list be because of how creative it was. But uh, I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, there was a there was a, a random uh, comic in here. Yeah, I that was great. The oh, Dragon yeah, Snake great. saves R two. Yep, and I just thought that was uh, that just made my day. It was like a beautiful yeah. little comic, and it was sort of like it's about like R two getting eaten in that in the swamp in Dagobah and spit out. 
but it was like the dragon snake was doing a solid for r2 and then was just like i love you and r2 was like i love you and that's how it ends the end um (laughs) gary witta basically wrote a new addition to the rogue squadron novel series with rogue 2 yes which i thoroughly enjoyed it almost made my list because it reminded me old rogue squadron novels yeah, and, and Rendezvous Point uh, with Jason Fry, the, the Blake yeah. and Tilly's st- uh, story was standout. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely great. I was actually going to mention that one as well. The, the Wedge and Jansen and more yeah. of their backstory there. And, and Jansen, more about, um, yeah. more about um, uh, Hobby. Yeah. I right. So Hobby makes his first appearance in the timeline in uh, Rebels. Right. Um, and... And he's one of the defectors with Wedge that is, you know, rescued by Sabine. And so that you, you see him there. But uh, I, kn- I didn't know he was a rebel. I, I, I missed the, I, you know, uh, for the thousand times I've watched Empire. I, uh, Luke calls him out um, in Rogue Squadron in the Snowspeeders uh, two or three times. And you don't even actually see him. I mean, you see some people die in Snowspeeders, but you don't know who they are. I don't think you ever actually see Hobby. Um, but you, but he calls out, he's like, hobby, he's still there. You know, like he's, yeah. he calls him out a couple of times. So, um, that was a, that was a fun story to see. Um, I think that's, uh, I think, well, the, the, uh, the propaganda, um, uh, journalist that was in Hoth base. Right. I was really like, I really, when I started watching, uh, empire today, I was like trying to find these characters and some of them are blatantly on string on screen, like, you know, the ion um, cannon specialist and whatever, um, which is really cool. But then a lot of people you don't see. And but I think the uh, that reporter heroes of the rebellion. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Heroes of the rebellion. Um, and so you don't see her, but you get her POV because you're like it's an over the shoulder shot in the in the huddle around Leia talking about giving things and you're like oh like you're like this is the camera that's like the the moving shoulder shot like uh yeah right right in in that that scrum and that was that was i was like oh so she's there but that was a, that was very interesting and then but like the real you know she wants to follow the heroes but ultimately right. real heroes are the entire rebellion and in like it, it goes through like and this is something i've thought about every time i've watched empire strikes back is like what it would be like to be on one of those troop transports trying mm. to um, break the uh, the uh, you know the wall there that they had created in space that I'm what's it called uh, blockade the blockade the blockade. Uh, blockade yeah um, and you know trying to get through there and you're always holding your breath but it's like they put you in that transport and what's going on as they're all hold like right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah trying to get through there and that like what a powerful fun moment um there yeah i mean yeah you can't say enough about this thing we could do 20 episodes on this book alone um and i'm sure we'll we'll refer back to it many times uh, if we have the the first yeah one. But, uh, and if we didn't mention it it's not because we didn't love it it's just that like there's so much like there's yeah. really not and i can say this because in the first book there were a couple of there were a couple chapters where i was just like that nah, i didn't really like that like you know what I mean where I'm like that did nothing yeah. for me and there's nothing in this book like every chapter had me caught me caught my you know fancy in some way right where I'm like yeah. oh that's a really neat take on it they they really upped the creativity I think for this this uh, second book yeah yeah and this is already an obnoxiously long podcast about yeah. this um but so if you're still listening thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank <laughs> you both of you out there thank you 
Um, but uh, the there is one more. I feel like we we need to cover the last chapter in here. Yeah, uh, just why yeah. I would like to talk about it for a second. Um, with the wills, we get a George Lucas wills reference. Yeah, and it's we we get a first person uh, account of someone who is writing the story, this story in the uh, for the wills. I mean, it's it's such a well, fascinating it's a crawl, thing. isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, the crawl. It's, 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 it's the crawl, but it's the, in the I, crawl. But I think that's they're just showing us the crawl because they're about to tell the whole story of what we just saw. Right. And but, I, I, do you guys know who the narrators are? The two people are because I have a theory that's the most obvious one. Probably. I mean, I have a theory that's kind of born of the later books of the Dark Tower series. But Ben, what do you what do you think? Well, I think the person actually writing it for the wills is C-3PO. And I think the other voice, the naysaying voice is R2-D2. I love that. I think that's great. I think because it's isn't that weird. part of Lucas's mythos is that. Yeah, that the, the chroniclers. The chronicles of, that. of the wills yeah. were, were. I was really a little written. more metaphysical in that George Lucas was being visited by the wills while he was writing this thing. <laughs> That like, oh, that is very dark. It's dark tower, tower right? Because oh, like, song of Susanna, dark yeah, tower. Yeah, spoiler alert. I uh, thought we would never talk about himself that into the books in the later series, but I because I liked it because I mean George Lucas is an amazing storyteller and also super clunky writing at times, and so I loved how much this deconstructed how clunky certain things are. And it just made me love it also more. But but Ben, I really like your take on it. This idea. So that your theory, your theory, Ben, is that. Um, C-3PO is speaking the crawl and R2-D2 is commenting. Yeah, I think C-3PO is documenting the the occurrences here for the wills and um, with R and R2-D2 is there. Um, but the, 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 the keepers of all the story, you know, the storytellers are always supposed to be the droids, right? I mean, R2, at least R2-D2, but mostly R2, I mean, you can assume C-3PO is in there too. So I have a line. <laughs> It's going to break everything <laughs> in this. Oh, the line is, wait, Starfleet? Did you just say Starfleet? Oh, my or God. Kirk and Spock yeah, going yeah. to show up next? Yeah. That's why I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah, you could you could be right. You could be right. I mean, my, mine's a stretch. But in my my headcanon has always been like, yeah. there's a reason why R2-D2 is in every movie and every okay. thing. Because, like, yeah. it's born witness to everything that's happened. Um but, you know, you know that, like, the reason why I think it could be RDG because it's so snarky and, like, you know, messing with C-3PO the whole time. Yep. But, I mean, the, the tongue-in-cheek gag here is that, like, we just told all these stories. And they're fantastic stories uh, in their own right. And it's like, this is what you're going to tell is, like, the story of Empire Strikes Back, which is arguably the best Star Wars story ever written. Um uh, let me read the end. Go ahead. Write a story that starts with probe dispatching and only one Wampa. And then nothing really happens except for Yoda's lunch and Vader's breakfast. And then go good guys lose. We that'll be everyone's favorite. Maybe you could end it by having Luke and Leia looking out a window, feeling sorry for themselves. What a thrill ride. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of genius. It's kind it's of genius. amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, good run, y'all. Um, thanks so much for listening to us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. This book deserves what the time we've spent on this and more uh, to talk about it because it's fantastic. Please read it if you haven't um, and, because you will just adore it. 
And then uh, next week, we're going to move on. We're officially moving into a uh, new era in Star Wars next week uh, with the High Republic. And I uh, can't wait to dive in. Yeah. Um, so we're going to we're going to be talking about Light of the Jedi next week. So I uh, hope you're uh, here to um, hang out with us when we do it. And um, we'll see you then. And as always, may the force be with you. This is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Core World News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, and good night. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.